So, welcome, welcome to the Fake Magic, Magic Podcast. Podcast. I'm Jordan. I'm Jordan, and I'm Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> Was that funny? <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't know. Um, so uh, Matt's been getting into astrology lately. Really into astrology, uh, particularly just reading. The macro forecasts for the signs, uh, and then just digging into what's happening during that season in particular, and then looking at my chart in that order. So like, yeah, so it's Leo season, which means like lots of, uh, not vanity, but like miscongeniality vibes, you know? (laughs) <laughs> tapping, tapping into like your own like self-worth and exploring that and uh, which transits into Virgo season, which I is one of my favorite times of the year. Um, yeah, Sam. It's just I, I do really well during. Uh, honestly, I do really well. Lego, Lego, Leo, Virgo, Libra season. Back, so do back, I. Back. I. My mental health like it just. Yeah, is, there's there's something about like kind of August through like October. Yeah. That's like where a ton of life changes have happened for me. Me too. Uh, um, even into uh, November a little bit. My well, biggest life changes always happen um, like the first 10 days of October. Interesting. Mm-hmm. It's always like right when uh, the World Series is happening. Um, I know for me, the majority of the time I've ever moved in my life it has been in the fall, either like September or m- most mostly November. So Interestingly enough. Yeah, I've I've moved in October quite a few times. I've started new jobs, major major me job too, changes actually. have yeah, happened no, in November, October for me. October November for me. Yeah, see, Scorpio wow, season so doesn't weird. do it for me. Scorpio season, I always like have to buckle down. That's like the first signs of winter is when Scorpio starts. Is it's just so hard on my mental health. Um, for it, me, winter is always chill and low key, almost always, almost always. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, the spring songs like. The the Aquarius Pisces Aries trio uh, really kicks my ass. Um, I'm I am a Pisces. I do not do well during Pisces season. Um, it's way too sensitive for me. Yeah. Like like people are like, oh, you're in your element. I always just feel like, like no. my cup is like empty, and I I Every don't know. The, the weather you feel really. Like Ten times. Yeah, the weather really showcases itself to me every March, like how my Pisces mood is. Uh, That being said, that Taurus season that follows in April uh, is really good for my mental health. Yeah, Um, that's a nice one. So I I can't be mad. Um, Yeah, Leo season in particular, there's like a lot of things coming down the pipe as far as like uh, starting of new projects, cultivation of new friendships, tapping into... uh, a lot of the event horizon is being experienced. I, this is secondhand from astrologers I've been reading and listening to that. Uh, if you have a project that you've kind of started, but haven't, it hasn't taken off the ground that it's going to have like now this month is the opportunity for that to make way. Oh, and- so like fake magic. <laughs> just kidding. We have just a horrible time having a regular schedule. Cause like <clears throat> we both just moved almost in the same week. Yeah. And then, both of our lives had just like had odd parallel emotional, huge emotional highs and lows I, that have just really 
thrown a wrench into us trying to do it regularly. The fact that we've gotten more than one episode down and you've been publishing them is a real testament to you being the glue holding this together, and I'm very thankful oh, for man. that. Oh, man, and I was, like, barely... I, I think I, I'm feeling it, and it could be the astrology. I'm feeling more energy coming to it here I pretty soon. Too. We had that... Especially like with the two hydrogen weeks ago, Not to uh, uh, drive the nostalgia, nostalgia train, but two weeks ago, after that one episode... I left here and I was like, it's coming back. And it, I felt that way. Uh, I still do. It's just has a different tune to it. Um, just because I feel like my mental health is, um, and especially in conjunction with the astrology that's, uh, occurring right now, I have to just continue to muscle through. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The end of, uh, the end of July was really weird. June was probably the best month of 2021 for me so far. Mm. That month was so good. I felt like I moved a mountain. Yeah. Uh, and then July cancer season hit and there was a lot of, uh, cancer for me was like a, a lot of abrupt evaluations and confrontations and just kind of people coming in hot and, mm. and, uh, it was just like, damn dude, you'd think that'd be like Leo season, right? Which made me nervous. I kept thinking like, Oh, is this going to go into Leo season? Um, which it hasn't so far. Yeah. The last two weeks have been a lot of like, it feels like energy depletion to uh, get me ready for something that's occurring yeah. around the corner, which I was talking to you about earlier. Plus I, it's a waning moon right now. Yes. And so there that, was a Pisces full moon like it. 10 days ago, which is in conjunction with the whole thing as far for, for me personally. Uh, yeah. We I, played a show on the Pisces full moon. Hell yeah. Well, either the day of or the day, day for, after, That's a good day I for music. Remember. That's for sure. Yeah. I know that, uh, <clears throat> my astrological forecast for the month has a major event, life event for me on the 11th of August. So I'm taking that in stride and kind of just in celebration and, or anticipation rather for that, whatever that is. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, I I got to thinking, uh, I listened to this Ram Dass talk like a week ago, and he was talking about the alchemical transmutation of service, and I, I, I really got to thinking that when you choose to lean into charity, uh, whether that's like, the I think the most uh, valuable uh, version of charity is donating your time uh, to the service of others. Uh, there's this misconception often that when you do that, you leave and you have this really feel good experience. And I, uh, quite frankly have the opposite. <laughs> um, I always leave like, especially when I make it more of a routine in my life, uh, I leave and it feels like I'm starting something major emotionally. And so what I've been hmm. seeing the last couple of weeks is I listened to this uh, talk that Ram Dass gave that, and, and he was basically saying the alchemical transmutation of gratitude and service is more suffering. So when you choose to be charitable, you will increase your suffering. And the reason is because when you increase your suffering, your capacity to love expands. And that there was a, day like maybe 10 or 12 days ago <clears throat> where I, I genuinely and I try to not do this because I grew up with a parent that talked about the Job story a lot and it was just kind of it felt uh, self-serving uh, in this particular circumstance so I'm always tender to talk about the Job story uh, which is 
I, I think a testament to uh, no pun intended <laughs> how bad it was but my mental health I was just like I am suffering and I am lonely and I feel like I am by myself right now in the world and uh, and then I was reading this thing that Ron Dawson said about Job uh, for those who don't know this is the story of the Bible and the Old Testament this man I think named we Job sort of talked about, about it before either the last one or the I'll one before over that uh, Ramdas says that uh, the story of Job is an important showcase of God's alchemy because God changes when Job begins to observe that God is making him suffer. And the implication is that the entity of God or the collective unconscious or the zeitgeist is that it is also a living and breathing thing evolving with us as we become more aware of it. That's something I've been spending a lot of time with the last two weeks is that God is changing so long as I choose to observe it. Yeah. And because I mean, it adheres to the same biological rules that it presented for us. You know, it does this dance just just so much as we do. Yeah. I do think, uh, at least as far as my understanding goes, that um, if everything is God and we are made of God and we are also God that it wants to expand and it has to throw itself into these fires in order for it to do so. And that's, uh, I, I think that's a really good example of where the story of Abraham is relevant. Uh, cause I think the story gets misunderstood all the time that I think devotion and sacrifice are two very different things. Yeah. Uh, well, and I, I think charity expands to our the thoughts that we impress upon others when I we agree. see you know if we see because i'm trying to take the neville stuff more seriously and so like when i see people on the street asking for money i mentally try to be like i'll do my best <clears throat> to imagine them in like some kind of gainful employment or being able to have enough money to live comfortably or I'll see someone and I'll be I'll just try to try and think and be like oh I'm glad they got a they have gainful employment or I'm glad they're comfortable and they're off the street I'll try to do that oh yeah because um, even if which I think it does I think it does affect them on a metaphysical level but even if it's purely purely psychological it'll help me be try to be more understanding. And, uh, you know, try to give people more of the benefit of the doubt. Um, I don't know about you, but being raised somewhat conservatively, you were always taught that people asking for money are just ne'er-do-wells who don't want to work. Yeah, like they're... they're Or they're faking it. They're byproducts of their circumstance, but that circumstance is punishment derivative. Right. That's like the... That's the way that the conservative mindset justifies the negligent yeah. uh, avoidance of the homeless problem. So when I try to th change that way of thinking, hopefully it'll it'll also change the way I act and think towards you know other people in uh, unfortunate situations. I and you know try to get a, give the benefit of the doubt. You know even you know I'm sure some of them are faking it. Some of them could go get a job. If but one, not all of them. The ones probably that are faking not even it. The ones that are faking it are just as valid as the ones that aren't faking it. Just off of the principle that there's inherently something wrong that right. you would need to fake it. Yeah. So there's an even deeper issue yeah, there. Yeah, so there's and, some and kind so of psychological or some kind of emotional. This is an example to me, and I think about this a lot when I see uh, 
when I see homeless people, I try to not shed crocodile tears. And right. the biggest reason is because, and I, I hope you don't think that's what I was suggesting you were doing. Um, oh, no. I, I th- as a matter of fact, I think you're being realistically compassionate. And I think yeah. compassion always comes from a place it, rooted in reality. Yeah. Uh, no, frankly, I didn't get that at all what, from you. What I think of a lot is, uh, for some reason, Ram Dass is just rattling in my brain, but how he talks about how everyone you encounter is God in drag. And that, yeah. and that, uh, he, yeah. he, he would talk about how so funny. He, would That's a funny way LSD, he would be on LSD and he would look at people in the eyes and he'd be like, I'm in here and you're in there, but like, we know each other, right? Like we know each other. Yeah. Like, we're just we, like we, two consciousnesses. Um, there's a rabbi that I, suit. I'm a huge fan of. And he was talking about how like people in your life that you're really close to like friends and uh, family that, that are just so important in your life. He, he talks about like the jubilation when you realize that you were neighbors in paradise. Yeah. I just, I, I love that. And, and the thing is, um, what homeless people need is for you as the individual to treat them the way that you treat yourself. Yeah. And this, this Humanized. is where the showcase is, yeah. is if you treat yourself poorly, then you are the person that talks down on the homeless people. Yeah. You, it's you it, talking down on the homeless people. Almost is, always a projection. And, and yeah. It, well, almost always. It always is Probably a projection. Because, yeah. and, and the reason I would make that argument is because uh, there's this ardent fear of the things that we can't control and the things that we can't change, quote unquote, and yeah. especially socially when you're trying to participate in the society. And then you see things that are like uh, discounting your way of life. Mm-hmm. The homelessness problem in our town discount disenfranchises the Western suburb, typical way of yeah. life. That's what makes those people upset. If I can speak on their behalf is they just want everybody to live the lifestyle they do because yeah. that sustains that what they, they want everybody to have a house, go, exactly. to go and have a job and be as disconnected as possible. Yeah. You know, one Ram Dass again talked about how when he went to India and he first got there and he hadn't met Neem Crowley Baba yet. He'd just done a ton of acid. And he was there and he didn't know anybody and he was freaking out so bad because the way of life is so different. He was like, people, the only amount of money that they had on them was enough money to be buried when they died. Yeah. And he just felt so sad. And he was talked about how he had to go back to the hotel room and he was so sad he had to crawl underneath the bed because he hurt so much. Yeah. But then one day he got out there and he was walking around and I, I don't mean to tell his story on his behalf, but this really rattled my cage because he said he eventually started looking in their eyes and he saw that he didn't feel bad for them, but rather they looked at him and all they could feel was pity because him, they yeah. were happy to be connected to one another. And this is something I think about all the time when I see homeless people in tent I have something tent groups, that actually goes along is with they this. Are, they, mind you, uh, I don't comprehend their way of life, uh, not by principle, but just by uh, comprehension. It's out of the scope of where I've been. But they're talking to each other. Yeah. And they live right next to each other. And I just can't help but think yeah, there's something out. communal that's occurring. Some of, At least some of them help each and other. Th- well, at, at some level, you have to help each other. Yeah. In some capacity. Now, of course, there's like theft and there's like the the micro tribulations. Yeah. Yeah, There's the human condition that's in there as well. But like we look at the homelessness problem as this like, well, we call it the homelessness problem instead of trying to get to the root of what it is that we're afraid of. 
Yeah. And the and the fear is the uncomfortability of community. I tr- I truly believe there's that. There's that. I think there's a fear also of like being alone. Um I used to have this problem and I I I promise this relates and I don't mean to like say this so uh passé. Uh I used to get really uncomfortable around people with down syndrome. Yeah. Uh I used to get so uncomfortable, especially when I was a kid cuz I didn't grow up around anyone with down syndrome. Um but then I, I, at some point in adulthood, I remember I saw this a grown adult with Down syndrome in the store with probably a caretaker, or at least they had taken on right. the role of caretaker in this sure. situation. And they were like interacting like humans that loved each other and, yeah. and not like acting the part. They were like, they genuinely loved each other. And then I got to thinking, I was like, oh, like my perception of who you are and who you are are so different because my perception of you is based in fear. Yeah. And I, uh, I experienced the same thing with homeless people. I'm not trying to liken these two together, but it's, this well, is my it, lived experience. When you see someone in an undesirable condition, uh, it can produce like fear and bring up some kind of projections. And when you're doing yourself. that, really what you're doing is giving yourself pity. Uh, at least something I've spent time contemplating in this regard is, when you see homeless people and you feel sad or you see homeless people and you feel annoyed or you see homeless people and you feel angry, these are all expressions of the self externalized onto other spirits that you are pieces of you that you have not integrated or accepted about yeah, yourself. Exactly. And this is what I was thinking. Um, Cause you know, like if you see like film clips of like people in like urban India like the streets and the walls and all that, like kind of look dirty and disheveled. And we're like, man, why don't, why doesn't anyone like clean up? And then I was like thinking about it and I'm like, that that's not their priority to make their outward appearance immaculate. That's their priority is somewhere else, whether it be like spiritual or other aspects of life. And there's nothing really wrong with that. Um, they're less uh, concerned with the material world yeah. than we are. And I don't think there's anything wrong with the material world inherently. I think it's the indulgence well, of one versus Not just the, other. the indulgence, but it's like when we project that onto others, like their house or their street's not clean, therefore it must be a miserable place to live. When it probably is fine, you know? There's this story, it's a medieval story in the Canterbury Tales of this night, the knight that goes on a quest and he encounters these three witches and they like live in the bog. And they like talk to whisper to shadows and things, and they're like mystics. And one of the important parts of the story is that uh, they are so involved with the spiritual world that they haven't returned to yet that they've missed the material world that they are residing in. Yeah. And it it's basically showing the inversion of duality that your conditions make for you. So it's like this is the yeah. thing is like for me is. When I get into an existential thought loop and I'm like, oh my God, like what is existing? Like, where am I? What is the point of all this? You know, when I get there, I will entertain it, of course, but I have to remind myself that uh, I'm in my carnal state for a very obvious reason and that I need to have both. So the daydreaming, my maladaptive daydreaming and delusion in conjunction with my material understanding of the world, my participation culturally in society, I think that they can do a dance simultaneously. And I think how I become the more authentic version of myself 
is by accessing both of them in union yeah. and not trying to make them like, this is my, this is my persona that I put on when I'm in front of my Mormon uncle aunt and uncle. And then this is my persona that I put on when I'm with my friends. And then this is my persona that I put on at work. And it's like, why can't they all just be like a more authentic version of me? Yeah. And no more of the pleasantries. And, and that's, that's been a lot of what I, I've been experiencing in the duality of trying to understand my role as me. Yeah. Um, you, and you know, it's funny that we, we have a culture of politeness and maybe, maybe it started off genuine, but people felt like compelled and Im- obliged to say like, how are you doing? Good. I'm good. How are you doing? Oh, still working. And you know, it, it became a weird formality, but <clears throat> essentially we're just a bunch of people lying to each other because almost nobody's actually doing that good. It's funny. And if you are, I'm very happy for you. <laughs> yeah, nothing makes me more sad than when you're at your like menial job and you're like, how's it going? And there's good. like a middle-aged person that goes, live in the dream. Every when day. When people say that kind of shit or they go like, uh, I'm here. I think that's where sarcasm came from. Oh, right. Well, like, <laughs> w- um, well, what? Because um, it turned well, into sarcasm. You know right, what I mean? What uh, Gordon White says about sarcasm is so interesting about how it's like a metaphysical magic. It is. Yeah. From and whatever how, the like, opposite of what you're yeah, saying. Yeah. So like you, what you and do. And not is, only that, it, it perpetuates. Sarcasm is art. Well, it's yeah, art. Because it's like. It can be funny. You're trying to get somebody hypnotically inside of your head. That's like, true. Yeah, you're. I mean, the nuance to sarcasm can be just so like what they would call dry, and I I, I often think that what that intent uh, what that means eventually is like these are my lived experiences. I'm telling you through this riddle of my psyche, yeah. and I'm trying to see if I can say it to you in a way that's kind of young that you comprehend, like that your spirit, you too have experienced this. Yeah, because uh, I I and the reason that I started thinking like this was with metaphor because I speak in allegory and metaphor a lot to the point that like people will be like, "You lost me, brother." Like I just need to know where the restroom is, <laughs> and I'm like, okay. Uh, but the reason I bring that up is because. I met somebody with a similar uh, walk as me as far as the exploration of their psyche and their mental health, and uh, we got to swapping stories, and I was telling a story from my childhood, something really traumatic that happened, and we locked eyes, and I started to tell this story about something that had happened the week before, and how it made me understand that I was behaving based off of a trauma response from when I was seven years old. And the eye contact that we made was like, you and me both. Yeah. Like our hearts some, knew that we had both nice been in the same spot. And and uh, that level of just unbridled compassion. Yeah. It, that vulnerability that comes with it, too, is just like, uh, it, it's one thing to be traumatized. It's another thing to find a community of people who have had similar traumas. And, and it's not as simple as going like, yeah. I had this really nasty thing happen to me when I was 10 or 11. And they go, whoa, like I had that same thing. It's like the after effects of that that have occurred in your life and explaining them in an artistic way to another person. And they go, I've done that too. And then, and then that's when you start to get onto the same frequency. Yeah. And I think that's how we're going to have to heal most of our trauma. Cause like whatever trauma you've been through, there's probably like a million other people who've been through it and that doesn't minimize it. But what it does mean is we have to start talking about it. And then hopefully as a collective, we just choose to stop <laughs> inflicting trauma on each other, which will take some time. Um, I do think sarcasm, um, 
<clears throat> I didn't really understand it as much when I was a kid and uh, when I was becoming a teenager. I was like, oh, these people aren't meaning what they're saying they're meaning. And so I learned how to sort of speak sarcasm. And then I think I got sort of too sarcastic. And I, I think when you get to the point where you're always sarcastic, like w how Gordon White calls it a spell or magic, it keeps you in a cynical holding pattern. When like, oh, love that when you don't love it, you know, like it, it just keeps it moving. It's like, all right, here's living, more bullshit to deal with, to be sarcastic with those about. Kinds of people is so hard to like, I yeah. do like, I, I mean, I used to run a machine shop and like, there's this ball busting that happens within machine shops where like, if you say something, which it's not even that if it's dumb, but if you like ask a question, that's like a very obvious question, you're going to get dumbass answers from people. And, uh, it's like, it's like part yeah. of like the initiation into the crew. Hmm. This happens everywhere, but I just remember like getting my teeth kicked in for asking like dumb things about cars because I didn't know anything. Yeah. And I, but the thing is that I would have to remind myself is like when they would kick my teeth in for asking like dumb shit, like I didn't know where spark plugs were when I first started working on cars. Yeah. You know, people well, were why like, why would you, so, if, if you've so never looked at it, I didn't know yeah. what the <laughs> dram plug was on an oil pan when yeah. I first started working on cars. Yeah. But if no one's and, told you and you've yeah. never looked into it, it's like, how are you just supposed to know that? I, but the thing is, this is the thing that I learned was that, uh, a lot of the time when I was getting sarcasm back from people, it was because of the way that I was presenting my questions. Explain further. So the reason I brought up the drain plug on the oil pan was because the first day I asked about it, I was like, so where even is the drain plug in the oil pan? And I'm like in this pit, we're changing the oil on this truck. And the guy that I'm changing it with, he goes, you mean to tell me that we're in a shop and you don't know where the drain plug is on an oil pan? And he was like joking, but like it pissed me off. I was just like, I don't I, like I, it. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't like it when people respond like but that. But this is the thing that I learned over the like next couple of months was that he would teach me things that I he was going to show me exactly what I needed to learn. But he wanted to teach me by showing me and not by explaining it to me. Because well, that that's was fine. Right, okay. And and I'm not tr even trying to yeah. inherently defend his behavior so much as I'm like explaining yeah. how I, it was that I had to learn how to participate in this world. The reason why I'm just having such a harsh reaction to that is because I am kind of autistic for real. Like I'm not joking. Sure. And when people respond that way, all it does is make me feel like inferior, like a fucking idiot. And, uh, like I literally like a lot of things that are obvious to other people. I have a lot of trauma with this just aren't obvious to me. So when I ask and they give me some kind of bullshit answer and it's not that it just happens like once or twice and I'm mad about it. It's happened hundreds, if not thousands of times for me and it's caused a compound trauma Heard. because whatever they're working on or whatever they're talking about, they're like, it's obvious. Why don't you see it? I'm like, I don't know. Blame my inflamed brain, I guess. Like, <laughs> I'm just not getting some of the stimulus that you're getting, so I miss stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. So, I don't know. Feels... Uh, and, you know, like, it, it took a while for me to realize it's not personal and for me sure. to, to learn the sarcasm. But, like, by the time I realized that, like, the damage was already done. Yeah. So, I'm, tr you know, I, tr I still try to give people that benefit of the doubt, even when they respond that way. But, man, it, it made it made it, made it it a hard time for me when I was younger. A real hard time. 
So, and then another thing that I was saying, so you know how we were talking about the pleasantries and all that and how at this point, basically 80% of the people who say they're fine or they're good are lying, not because they want to lie, but because that's just what you say in that kind of exchange. Um, People who go back to like old Soviet bloc countries um, and even like places in South America they're pain they're like painfully blunt like if you, like if you have a face full of acne it'll be to the point where like they'll just be like oh you have a lot of acne and they don't mean it in a mean way they're just like they see it in front of their face and so they just say it as a truth um and i've talked to like friends who've been on like uh mormon missions to like soviet bloc countries and they're like the reason at least uh, the my friend that I was talking to, he said the reason why they're so painfully blunt is because after, like, you know, decades of suffering under, like, repressive regi- regimes, they just value the truth. They just want to hear it as it is so they can just deal with it up front. They don't want to pretend it's not there. And I value that. And I think, you know, I don't think we should necessarily change American culture entirely, but I think there's room for maybe some more face-to-face honesty in a way that's not super blunt or like trolly or sarcastic. I uh, swear this is relatable. I just want to ask how you feel about this. Have you uh, caught yourself trying to, uh, at at some point in your life when you talk to like somebody that you're like, maybe like romantically inclined to, and you catch yourself like telling half truths that are like trying to create this persona of who you think they, they want. want. <laughs> yeah, that's happened. For I'm sure. so for sure. guilty of doing this. It's like I will be whoever I'm, you want me to be unless you don't want me to be that, in which yeah. case I won't be that. <laughs> well, and it could be the masking, honestly. Yeah. Like, well, I, 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 from a union perspective, it's absolutely like shadow presentation, but uh, or right. like repressed shadow. I just uh, the reason I bring that up is just because uh, again in our culture, uh, I get a lot of that. Like these pleasant, like the pleasantries, all, all often. I don't know how somebody's actually doing yeah. because they're so vague with their feelings. Like everything is yeah. just like hunky dory, like blah, blah, blah. Like, like, Oh, how's your day going? Blah, blah, blah. Like, and then it's this frequency Living and then the dream. Oh, oh, and, then, <laughs> and then the, and then the total bit bad, but do you have your savey save card? And then you're like, Oh, I don't have it, but I have an alternate ID. And it's like, everybody just starts to sound like the fucking parents from Charlie Brown. I just, uh, but there's like a cadence yeah. to our interactions that is just menial and zombified. And I, uh, yeah, I've had to review that. I've had to review that in my friendships too. Like, uh, it's a real testament to me on if somebody's like a good friend of mine or not. If we do like the friend talk or if we talk like human beings to each other, uh, I will catch it. I'll be like talking about something like really important to me. And then the way they respond to it is like, maybe not even that they're uncomfortable with it, but they don't want to like, they don't want to address that themselves or like have that discourse. So instead they like react to me really fake. Right. Or they just they just might not want to get into it, especially if it's like a deeper thing. Yeah, especially just, if it requires like brain or emotional power. I think yeah. people want to avoid it. I had a not, friend, you know, one not time. on purpose. You I had know, a friend, but they they time. just they're just not at a spot to deal with that kind of emotion, which and is confront valid. With it. And I could sometimes be intense and overbearing with that. But the yeah. thing is, and the, same for the me thing too. about that is though, is I'm that person 
more often than not. And so if you don't like it, that's fine. It's better that you find that out now instead of like getting to know me like on a friendship level or on a romantic level and then be like, yeah, you're really intense. And it's like, I don't know what to tell you because I, this is who I am. And I yeah. tried to make it very obvious. Well, the real challenge. Can I make it any more obvious? <laughs> Sorry. Nice. Um, <laughs> skater boy. 2000s classic. Have you read the conspiracy theory that Avril Lavigne is a clone? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I think I've. <laughs> I think I've. Uh, I haven't looked into it. I think I just saw some goofy <laughs> post, probably on Reddit, and I was like, oh, "Okay." So dumb. Sorry, you were you were saying. I don't remember. I don't either. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, um, you're good. Yeah, all good. What was it? Uh, masking. I just. Uh, I mask hard, and then I. Burn I do that work so bad. Yeah. People will be like, "Are you doing okay?" And I'm like, well, if I tell you that I'm not, like coworkers, I'm like, if I tell yeah. you that I'm not, then I'm dumping on you. Um, so I'm just going to tell you I'm doing all right. Yeah. But I don't want to talk about it, but obviously I'm not well. It's like, especially yeah. if I hit a depressive episode at work and somebody's like, hey, everything well, with, going okay? And I'm like, no, With it's you not. and I, we like to be really thorough about what we're trying to convey. So not only that, but we're trying to avoid like an hour long conversation. Like even on our end, yeah. it's like, okay, I'm not doing very well. But like to tell for me to tell you why I have to tell you like stories that span past fifteen years. We and do do I that. landed here. I always appreciate it. I I remember one time in particular. So like I don't want to get into it. I, yeah, <laughs> with my one, coworker. You know, one, one time in particular, this is something that's like been really important to me as far as our friendship goes. Is uh, I had had to cancel like two weeks in a row, and I was just doing so. Bad. Like it was probably the worst I'd been since I've been in Salt Lake. Yeah. And then I should have asked you how you were doing. Well, but like wasn't I, I wasn't that. doing super great either. I was so just, I was like, oh, Yeah, I was God. just trudging through the mud. Yeah. That's honestly sometimes you just see people trudging through the mud and you're like, just keep your legs moving, dude. Yeah. Like well, and, honestly, and you don't when, need advice. I'm just like letting you know that you've got a cheerleader over here. The days you were canceling, I was considering asking to postpone too. Well, and then there so was So I was like, you know what? I'm just you know, if if you're doing having a hard time, I'm kind of having a hard time. I'm just going to let it be, you know, I'm, I'm not going to try to force it when it doesn't doesn't feel good. You know, the reason that I brought it up was because there was one time where you had told me you're like, I need to cancel. Like I had something happen. Like, I'm just I'm just not there today. No. And for some reason that like made me feel really nice. Not that you were doing bad, but that like, yeah, we could have that dialogue and it didn't feel like we were keeping score. That was like a really oh, important sure. moment yeah. to me. Um, not that I'd ever felt like you were. Yeah. It was just like a thing. Uh, like, it's a validation. Exactly. Yeah. Cause it's not just me that was going through it. So then it's like, then we have like camaraderie yeah. over like, sometimes things are hard, you know? And this is like, also like, I've thought about this a lot in relationships, dude. Like, um, I had a girlfriend and where we really bonded was over just we would just watch like eight hours of anime in one sitting nice and we like i we, can't tell if that's healthy or not oh i mean it didn't work <laughs> out so <laughs> i'm like it's either anyway. incredible or something else is happening it's like uh, i'm not docking the actual action Well, the reason i bring it up is because uh we were both like not mentally well at the time and uh we would be checking in on each other like each episode we'd be like how are you feeling and one of us would be like Hmm. Uh, shoulder shrug you know how are you eh, I'm fine but we would sit there together on the couch you know hold hands just be like cute but we were like watching the show you know yeah I don't know I just was like really bonded by that because it was just like even in like the menial things of like we're both like not doing well but we're doing not well together 
Yeah. It was nice to not feel alone I mean, when that I wasn't could, feeling healthy. That could be a catalyst for codependency. Well, potentially. Okay, that's actually... Uh, I'm not saying that, you were. I'm just you know, saying like, I, when that kind of situation compounds, and I'm sort of talking from experience, I've had when to, you guys, when misery loves company, that's like can be a dangerous situation. Well, I've, I've, I've often asked what With the friends difference... Or what's like, the difference between codependency and love? Right. It's it's a degree on the polarity. I, I th- yes yes. I, like, the way I would explain it is on the love scale, but it's like it's a it's an unhealthy expression of it. Yes, like I, it doesn't mean you don't love each other, but you guys are also like stuck in an energetic holding pattern. When you love somebody, you maintain your independence for the sake of them. Like, yeah. it's a byproduct of both of you. Mm-hmm. Like, when you're in a relationship, Ram Dass said something one time. He was like, uh, it's not that I am in love with you. It is that we are in love together. Yeah. And I think about that a lot because it's not. Yeah. yeah well, you, you have right to be. Because like, the codependency thing turns into, like, I will start playing a game of telephone of who who is it that you need me to be because I will be that. And that is a super dangerous, yeah. dangerous past because then you have no clue who you are. I mean, you want to talk about, like, ultimate, like, Pisces of, like, energy. It's like I getting out of a relationship and, like, being so contorted that I can't even recognize myself. Like, yeah. I'll be honest, like, when I've broken up with people in the past, the first three weeks are, like, some of the best of my life because I'm, like, reconfiguring who I am. Yeah, you're like, oh, yeah, I used to like this I, and I, I used to do that. Dude, and I remember I, one time I'd <laughs> broken up with somebody who was, like, just a really unfortunate situation and uh, it was for the best on my end, you know, respectfully, and uh, I remember the next day I woke up and I was just so fucking happy and I remember I walked to the gas station and I bought like the nastiest gas station food and it was just delicious yeah and I came back and it was a total high it was delicious to the taste and very desirable fucking animal in my apartment and I'm just like yeah so yeah I I, I don't know I think I think love is a uh, it's an energy that requires participation a participation based energy of awareness and compassion yeah and where you facilitate the most love for another person especially like a romantic partner but your friends too is when you lift them up by taking care of yourself yeah well it affects everyone around you when you're doing well honestly and the best relationships i'm assuming are (laughs) where people are allowed to be their individual self but it just meshes together well but you don't become like so reliant on the other person that you can't go out by yourself and just like you know, like, like, say there's food you don't like or that your partner doesn't like. So, like, in order to indulge in it, you have to go get it yourself. Like, yeah. But once when you become locked down and you're like, they don't like it. So I'm I guess I'm never going to eat it again. That's like, can I tell that's you codependent behavior. Can I tell starting you something anyway. really shallow? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I dated a girl one time who didn't like the Simpsons, which is like almost a non-negotiable for me. Hey, um, you, but you I, know, that's okay. I, I was like, but here was the thing. I was like, you can I, have first your requirements. Of all, she was so hot. And I was like, oh, <laughs> like, you want to be, see, you wanna be seen it. in public with me? Like, I could ditch The Simpsons, by the way. Never again will I do that. But anyway, just, just from yeah, like who a... who the fuck doesn't a, like The Simpsons? Well, <clears throat> okay. But um, <laughs> anyway, the reason I brought it up was because like she would go to work before I did. And, you know, she stayed in my house a lot. And she'd leave. And there was like a 45 minute window before I'd have to get ready for work. And as soon as I heard the door close, 
I was like rifling through my computer to put on an episode of The Simpsons. Like I was like, it was like, like it was Simpsons like, like it was like, like it was like porno. You're like, oh and my I'm god! Just, like, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, Stupid literally, sexy Flanders. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like sitting in my underwear on a hard fucking kitchen chair, watching on my fucking MacBook like an episode of Simpsons from '97, and I'm just like high as a kite. Yeah. Just like but, kind of a half okay, show. Mm. I've got a buddy that I talked to one time about how like the the best thing about having a girlfriend is it makes the things that you enjoy doing more fun because you can't do them all the time, and like how so it's I like I mean there you know there should be some compromise, but I mean to the point where like you you're indulging you're not letting yourself in, indulge in your uh, interests to the you, point you have to, to the make point decisions of, you yeah. have to make decisions that are like the best for the relationship and for you and yeah because uh, you know if a girlfriend or whatever doesn't let you do your hobbies that's that's unhealthy and disrespectful you know maybe to a point like you know there's you, you could spend too much money on a hobby or even too much time to the point where you're either neglecting you know the family or the relationship but when it's like Oh, I have to ask the wife for permission to like what go out and have a beer. You know, if that's what you want to do, then there's you know, it's normalizing abuse essentially. Yeah, I agree. I suppose what I'm trying to say <laughs> is more or less like. Oh no, yeah, no, no I'm I'm saying when it goes further. Well, like you know, there's this thing about like I remember uh, being in a relationship again. Not to take such a nostalgic trip down memory lane, but there was this video game that I loved playing with my friends, and I had to what like pick it? Overwatch. Oh, nice. I had to like pick and choose. You know, I don't play video games really at all anymore. I play like an hour and a half. What did of, you used to play it on Xbox? Uh, PlayStation Four. Oh, okay. Yep, yep. Cool, cool. Yeah, I'll I, I allow myself an hour and a half of Donkey Kong sixty four once a week or once every other week, and oh, that's, that's about cool. my limit anymore. Um, yeah. yep. That's how I keep the flame going. Uh, I haven't touched a video game since I started my chronic fatigue stuff heard it, the, i want to i love video I games couldn't. i love video games i am a recovering addict and uh i my my neurodivergence will let me stop like not to be too graphic but i have like peed my pants before playing a wow. video game yep i didn't know yeah. that yeah i'm not i'm not like proud of it but um no yeah, yeah. Hey, at it's, least it it's wasn't an addiction. like the Cartman episode. It's it, uh, it was like that. It was like that. But you didn't shit like on your mom. <laughs> <laughs> well, mom, bathroom. Do you remember well, that episode? Yeah, yeah. That was a good oh, episode. Do I remember that episode? That's one of the most important episodes of like South dark Park. humor. Yeah. American television of the 21st century. Yeah, it's it's a great it, commentary. It, it was yes. Yeah. It's thematic as fuck. It's provocative. It really it's introduces you into like the Aquarian affect of like digital uh social dynamics yeah like overindulgence and, yeah well yeah. and then also like the meme culture of like being on the internet i mean it really showed like what world of warcraft like at its core was was like a bunch of guys just like dicking around on the internet and like fucking around with each other and uh the way my brain is wired i just i can't do mmos Oh, I can. I played so much RuneScape, dude. I feel... I, I, like, I will think about playing RuneScape, and I will uh, hit a thought pattern. Where I feel I, drained. I, I don't even play RuneScape anymore. Yeah. And I will, like, think about playing RuneScape. And you'll just... Get... It'll make me think about calling into work to, to go download start. RuneScape to start playing it. Wow. Yeah. 
I like. I, I don't want to trigger you. I haven't entertained this thought. I, I was mean, gonna in, like, say they like spun up RuneSoup Classic servers all the time. Oh, I. Yep. Yeah. Oh, uh, they. <laughs> they still. Oh wait, they do. Yeah, oh, dude. Oh, dude. Don't do it. No. Don't do it. <laughs> oh no. Oh no. Well, and they did it with Warcraft <laughs> though. They're they're starting to do Warcraft. Warcraft World of Warcraft. No, no, World of Warcraft classic servers. Oh. Like, back from, you know, 2004, which is insane. I remember all that, like, when World of Warcraft came out, and I was pissed because they weren't doing a sequel to Warcraft 3, an RTS sequel. The second Warcraft 4 comes out, that's what I'm going to play. Fuck yeah. If it ever happens. I don't even know if it will. I know Blizzard basically overturned the entire creative team, like, 12 times. Have you seen what's going on with Blizzard lately? What, what was it? They, do, first of all, their development team had a fucking picture of Bill Cosby hanging in their fucking dev room. Um, like, yeah, because, just a picture of him? Yeah, as like, a smiling? joke. Yeah, as a joke because they've like, wow. are, like, they are notorious for sexually assaulting women. There's like, within the company. Right, right, um, right. It, yeah, it's super gross. Like, it, yeah. if you're not familiar, you should go look up what's going on with Blizzard right now. And then Blizzard fucking hired the team that Union busted Amazon to represent them legally because they're getting sued out the ass. And then not only that, like Jeff Kaplan, the guy who um, was like the CEO for Overwatch or whatever, uh, he just quietly resigned like two months ago wow. because his hands were like deep in this honeypot. Yeah, I it's it's really made me his sad because Overwatch... Worse was such a cool game for me, and I appreciated it from afar, you know. Yeah. And now I'm just like, you guys fucking. Suck. This is another reason why I haven't gotten back into gaming lately, is because <clears throat> I don't know what video games are trying to suck my soul for like all the money they can, versus a video game that actually delivers like good gameplay and good story without ripping me off. Like, cause I'll pay, I'll pay the 60, I'll even pay a little bit more for like good DLC. It's a 50, 50 split anymore, but, dude. Like the game, the new games that are coming out, it's an absolute roll of the dice on what the quality of it is bought, going to be. It's, de it's depressing. I bought star Wars battlefront, the remake. And it was, that's when I started to slowly slip out of video games. Cause it came with, it was a full price game, whatever, $60. It came with only four playable maps and zero campaign and then the dlc for it you're almost paying twice over to get a full game and i was like i can't do this anymore i'm like if you're gonna raise video game prices and it's gonna be a hundred dollars at least be straight to my face about how much it's gonna cost to buy the whole game Well, and again it's it doesn't exist in the material world it exists as intellectual yeah. property in the air this is like a testament to the aquarian age yeah. where our asset value of like things that matter to us is changing so much i've got i've got a buddy bless his heart dude he will like he'll be like dude i got this new skin for this character like do you want to see it I don't even play the game and all I can think is like I couldn't fucking care, care less, less. Yeah. but here's the thing like I, and it's nothing against him the reason I bring this up is like I still am like yeah dude let's see it because I understand like how important it is to him yeah. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back but I just like I get thinking about like materialism sometimes and I'm like oh I, I do the same thing like I like I love showing the pony. Yeah, you know, but and, and I don't know. At least you can touch it and you can feel it. Yeah, I you know? agree that there's something different to it, but I just like I'm not docking people who do buy digital goods. If it's important good. to you, that's fine. Like, the, and if the, it's your hobby, it's fine. I just like just I to the point where it's like, like such a suck that it's taking more away from you than it's giving you. You know, I'm like, is that armor really? worth that much well either it, time or money because like yeah. either you have to do like 20 hours or something to unlock it 
which is this insane. one makes me super duper at this and then a super duper and it's just like oh my god dude and i guess that comes back to why i played donkey kong 64 dude yeah because because you know, it's you a complete just, game plug it in and play it brother it, yeah it's a complete game you know, it's super and rewarding the music is incredible yeah it is the it's music, the rareware music for yeah. the nintendo 64 is one well, of a because the graphics just weren't that good back then they had to make it up with fun gameplay and uh, like and artistic so many approach. games, like, so I many Donkey games Kong missed 64 that today. Used to scare the shit out of me because it was so dark. Yeah, and uh, yeah, same with GoldenEye for Goldeneye, me. Dude. I, I was like I screaming. I was like in kindergarten when that fucking came out. Yeah, and uh, game is so. Good. A friend had it, and I was like freaking out watching him play it because it was like just so bizarre to watch. They uh, <laughs> GoldenEye was super fun. Um, Mario Party Three. Yeah, Mario Party Three. I just remember so like good. one of them. I, it, it was either one or two. There was a game where you had to like rotate the joystick around in a. That circle. was Mario Party One, and they had to recall that. And people were breaking their controllers because they would just press their palm on the joystick and just go around and round and round and round. <laughs> yeah, I'm inheriting. I actually got my family's Wii. Dude, um, I have a. We Wii should U. play sometime. I'm super down. Um, I'm getting the GameCube. I oh. have a. I have Smash Bros. Brawl. Do you have Super Mario Sunshine? I used to as a kid, and I sold Fuck. it. Uh, I sold it as a kid, and I regret it. That game is dope. I have a bunch of other good ones. I have a Lord of the Rings: Return of the King. Hell yeah, that game is actually um, a lot of fun. Uh, I plugged it in like two or three years ago, and it was way harder than I remember. Way harder. I was like, I was like, I beat this game. Like I beat it. How, how is it so hard? The button timing on old video games is so different. Yeah. Yeah. It's so much more clunky. Like you have to learn like the rhythm, the rhythmic figures to how to making yeah. it work. Plus the delay between the input. Cause like, yep. Oh yeah. Modern, dude. modern transmission is so quick now, but back then there's somewhat of a delay, especially on N64. There's a rhythm. I have an SNES classic too. I'll sometimes indulge and play Donkey Kong Country on that. Ooh. And oh, dude, it's That's so good. fun. It's so fun. It's all remastered and shit. It's, the SNES classic was a great investment. Anyway, um, the reason I bring it up is because uh, you have to like, there's a, there's a dance rhythm to the buttons on yeah. it. That's different from the SNES than it is to the N64, from the N64 to like even the uh, yeah, the Switch. Yeah, they're all their own beast. Yeah, every yep, single you one. You have to of learn them. like the tempo and shit. Yeah, those are so good. Um, so, I've been thinking. I've had uh, it could be long haul COVID, or it could have just getting COVID could have triggered it. Um, but I've for the last sort of like six to eight months. I've been having chronic fatigue and it sort of came in waves, but there was like a chunk of at least the last, like three, three to four months where I could barely do anything after work. Like I would come home, I would have my ketamine treatment. I would lay down, do nothing. Um, I tried a few things. I tried shaking up my sleeping medication with the doctor. I tried, um, like increasing my protein intake, which may have marginal marginally helped a little bit. Um, but I started, uh, supplementing hydrogen gas and hydrogen infused water. I actually bought a fairly expensive machine that infuses the hydrogen and produces the hydrogen gas. 
um, and I've been taking it for about two weeks now, and I'm starting starting to notice a difference. I'm starting to notice a little bit better sleep quality. I'm starting to notice I can sleep a little bit less than uh, I used to. Like if I can if I can land at least like six to seven okay hours of sleep, I seem to be doing a little bit better. Um, I've noticed increased circulation to like my wrists, hands, feet. Uh, and ankles. Um, at first, I was a little bit weary because I thought it could be placebo, and I just really want to make sure it works because it, it is somewhat of an investment. Um, I might reveal how much I paid for it at a later date if I know I either have to return it or after I know it works for sure because I'm almost a, a little embarrassed to say how much I paid. But if it does end up working, it will be <clears throat> a fairly... Uh, decent investment into my health um the studies and i was just showing matt this uh before the show i did an infusion of it yeah so i i, I let matt uh have a 20 minute infusion um and t- tell him what you noticed immediately it reminded me of a very very like diet version of what i've heard people say about stem cell treatment hmm um, oh, interesting. Yeah, because in the span of this podcast, I f- have felt really exhausted. But I, f- but like it's like a I don't want to say a revitalized exhaustion. My body is definitely uh, in dance with its circadian rhythm as to where I'm at today. Weird. That's what I feel right now the most. So, do you think it helped you? Maybe it forced you to relax. It was like, oh, I'm getting yes. this hydrogen that I needed that I haven't been getting, and so now I'm going to relax so we can repair some shit. Yep. Interesting. Yeah. I've had like a mild headache. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so people, there have been some, so they've done a ton of like mouse and animal studies, not a ton of human studies yet. There could be some conspiratorial uh, suppression with that. Um, but the studies show an Im- implication in like over 170 diseases and counting. Uh, I might post a link to some of the studies that I've found. Uh, I mean, but there's, Everything from, like, depression and anxiety down to, like, inflammation, Parkinson's disease, uh, Alzheimer's. And mind you, it's not necessarily a cure, but uh, because of the massive uh, anti-inflammatory and antioxidant effects of the hydrogen, um, it seems to mitigate and at least somewhat treat almost every conceivable disease, at least a little bit, through the uh, anti-inflammatory action of it. So I'm excited uh, to see where it goes. I did sort it was sort of a desperation buy because this, I haven't been able to do any, barely anything in my physical environment due to the fatigue. And uh, I mean, I even went to the doctor and talked to him about it and he's like, and I'm already, <laughs> I'm already taking Adderall, and that's sort of what they give to people with chronic fatigue, which is sort of a Band-Aid, really. Um, I'm on Adderall for ADHD. Uh, would like to eventually get off of it. I asked him, I was like, could it be long-haul COVID? And he's like, it could. We can't really tell, though. So and I'm like, well, great. <laughs> Thanks. I, fucking, I love Thank doctors, you. dude. Oh Thank you. <laughs> fucking a whole different breed. Uh, I just like don't worship them. Um, you know what I mean? I'm grateful. Well, they don't for deserve them. worship. No, they do not. And I, uh, I, uh, I appreciate them. 
I, I think they have the their place. Sent in school. They have their uh, place. I get really, really tired of the back padding of American Medical Service uh, because it's so disappointing yeah. in so many ways. Yeah, well, especially uh, with like cognitive function and like psycho. Oh, um, especially for psychotherapy. Sure. Yeah, You know, like if you go to just just a real quick. Sorry to. I don't mean to co-opt this. I just want to add to this. Yeah, go that, ahead. Uh, if you're going to your family doctor right now, your family doctor or a general practitioner. And for antipsychotic medication, I would even venture to say anxiety or depression medication. Please see a specialist for the love of God. Yes, like please go, go please switch over go to see someone else. See an actual psychiatrist. Go see someone else. And an actual Dude, because psych- these guys psychologists. are all, They have no credence. Or the, it, I'm I'm really putting my opinion out there. I, I I will just give my example is that I was put on to. Um, not antipsychotics, but two antidepressants. Uh, both did not suit me at all. One was so bad. Um, is unlike anything I've ever experienced in my life. And um, when I explained to the doctor what happened, he was so blase about it. I like, I was yeah. like, I had very violent thoughts about him for about six months. Um, like I would think about like just going to the uh, doctor's office and assaulting him. Yeah. Because I was so mad that he just like. I've had a similar He was like, experience. oh, yeah, this didn't work. Let's just do this. Oh, you're not sleeping well? Oh, let's just do this. Like, he didn't, like, get to know me. Like, he didn't give a shit, you know? And, the, like, med- yeah. modern medicine, modern American medicine is just such a fucking jerk off of how shitty our culture well, I, is. Well, I'm reading a book called Mind Over Medicine. Um, it, and the book probably does have a slight bias to it, but they do cite several well-researched studies. Um they're saying they're they're even saying that bedside manner can affect a patient's outcome from anywhere like between 30 to even 80% just cuz they were treated well and because they felt cared for Medicine. which is insane that's a that's an insane number even if it's conservative at let's say 25% there's a that's l- in that's a huge huge margin of error there is uh more nuance to the reason why countries outside of the imperial block of the west don't welcome in our medicine well it's it's parasitic it is parasitic they're they're trained on a an entirely materialist level which at a minimum they should be a a try just try for some more understanding and just try for some more compassion I, uh, Even if they stay in the materialist framework, which is incorrect. Physician's assistant say to me one time, because I was getting into this argument with him, which I shouldn't have to begin with, because obviously we're just on two completely different planets. He's also much more learned than I am. Um, but he was like, you know, you could say all of these things about how bad Western medicine is, and you're, you might be right, but our... Uh, our life expectancy is one of the highest in the world. No, isn't it and, going down? Well, it is going down. But here's the other thing, dude, is like, I, I would just like to say this really quick. I would rather live for 35 years and those 35 years be meaningful and healthy than live 80 in this fucking hellscape and be yeah. like, well, hey, but dude, I lived 80, you know, yeah, yeah. And, and I spent 65 of those years preparing for the last 15 that I was promised were going to be fun. And then now I'm just like old and feel like shit. I just. Yeah. It's such yeah, a it, shitty it, barometer. But it, then again, it's a cradle to grave pipeline, honestly, well, where, where they try to make it so you die broke. Life expectancy you know? is an imperial measurement of the the longevity of life on a fiscal level. Like, yeah, uh, dude, it's like, like you lived oh, long. Must only, have been good. He only lived to be <laughs> 30, 30 years old. Like, how sad, you know, Christ only lived to be 33. 
Okay, and he had a, a way more vibrant life than your fucking hundred seven year old aunt. Like, no offense. Yeah. How like, how old did the that Coke brother live to? Like eighty seven or something. Yeah. And it's like everyone cheered for his death. Yes. You know, that's not a good life. No. <laughs> no. No, dude. You think he would have lived longer and with I, that, and with I, those billions? One of the but. things too is like you uh, that I go back to is my uh, grandma's gonna outlive him. Well, yeah. <laughs> one of the things that I was saying about uh, before about quality of life on the previous episode, I've been talking this a lot the last couple of weeks with people. I had a buddy who uh, is very apprehensive about the cultural revolution of Mao, and he just said, I, I feel like something's coming. I just don't want a lot of people to die. And I just said to him, again, I just want to say it again, if you take away a generation's will to live, yeah, they will find something to, to die, die for. for. Yeah, And it is that is where we are. That is where we are on the time scale. Like, cause I mean, I'm a millennial Gen Z cusp. I'm really a millennial, but like most of my friends are Gen Z. Um, yeah, we're, we're telling, on that younger. I'm telling you, yeah. Uh, there's something down the pipeline that's going to be rough, like turbulent. I think it'll be somewhat rough. I, I think even if there is some kind of revolutionary action, I, I, I think consciousness has at least here has passed on to a different plane i don't think it'll be quite if there is some kind of revolution i don't think it'll be quite as bloody or anything as previous i, I think there will be isolated incidences i but, can't help but um, think that it's similar. i don't think it'll be a mass scale i really don't i can't help but think is unless it is revolt re, unless there's any kind of famine or food scarcity involved sure. yeah. if that, that, that that's the first thing that turns a revolution bloody i mean mark says that um the and i'll say i'll say food, if, if the corporations don't open their coffers and start paying the the bottom of the totem pole more we're we're more likely gonna see one and we should rightfully because, you know, there are tens, if not more, trillions of dollars sitting in private corporate bank accounts. Doing what? Sitting there collecting interest? Yeah. Like, what's it Accumulating doing? Accumulating wealth, like, yeah. Pump, pump, it, pump it back in to the middle and the lower class. But yeah. it's, we're just not seeing that happen. And if it's not going to happen, then that's, that's where things might get a little darker. They could do it any time they want. They just... They need to impose company-wide minimum wages. Yeah, I agree. Um, well, the other thing... So, uh, one of the things that I was saying with my buddy about Mao, and this is about, like, any communist leader, the reason that they've all be been corrupted is because nobody threat continued to threaten their life within their institution. Mm. One of the best things you could do is, like, uh, get a figurehead... You know, if there's a communist revolution that was led in the United States, you know, and it had some figurehead, not like an ALC, like an actual person who isn't a piece of shit. Yeah. Um, Someone you, outside of the political game. And they game, get to the top. Hopefully. They get to the top. They need to stay hungry. They need to stay worried that if they misspeak, that the people at the lowest level will also besiege them. Like, yeah, there, there needs to be an easy way to take them out of power. I mean, I would pres prefer a nonviolent means, but but an easy way where if they just step on too many eggshells, they're gonna get I kicked out. I just think a nonviolent approach is how we got to where we are. Yeah, I'm just kind of exhausted of like the nonviolent approach because it, it, I understand like the formalities of it, um, and, and I also understand the peace element to it, of course. But uh, I I just 
don't think there's any other way for things to change in this world. I, d- I definitely don't think so. I, I think there's always a non-peaceful alternative. I, Interesting. I, th- I think if people, if enough people believed in a peaceful alternative, it would happen. I would like to think that. I think the Bernie Sanders movement completely dismisses that for me. I, and the not not to immediately contradict you, but the, just to say where I I'm coming from with this is, uh, I just think of the biological food cycle, and how no matter how much kumbaya the fox has with like the rabbit it's still going to eat it and i think that the hierarchical institution of power is the same but we're all human i agree (laughs) i think that there's conditions to humanity especially in like uh western imperial structure honestly i i I think uh humankind's natural i mean there's always going to be some kind of like jealousy and maybe a hierarchy will always evolve but i i think humanities before whenever before like pre-empires and pre like populous civilizations it was it would make evolutionary sense that humans would evolve to help each other rather than hurt each other because it increases everyone's survivability and i think i think whoever is at the top the elite or whatever understood how to manipulate us and back and basically regressed humanity into a more primal state and into a more us versus them mentality. And I think it's something, I I think it's in our DNA somewhere, but we have to, we have to overcome the propaganda and the tribalism before we can reaccess it. I can agree with that. Cause like, you know, most people can still afford to eat even at lower wages. And I'm not talking minimum wage because, you know, that's an atrocity at the $7 minimum wage. But, and not for everybody. There are definitely impoverished and even starving families in America. And I'm not discounting that. But at the end of the day, I feel like most people can afford to eat. And that's a very good thing. Um, so if we can overcome that stress response that like fight or flight and maybe just let ourselves not get so angry at who we're perceiving as oppressing us very we, well we might be able to come find that third option i, th- I think there's always a third hidden option I one think there of the is. testaments to my own work in progress is that it w- with one brush stroke i could talk about ram Dass, and the other one i can talk about like jeff bezos head on a pike and so right. I, I do want to say <laughs> if there's one thing i'm good at it's sitting on a fence um so i appreciate you really uh yeah well i'm just you know this is why i'm, I'm talking like this, this. Is like, you know, if I'm going to read, you know, things like Neville Goddard and if I'm going to read all this new thought stuff and I'm also looking at everyone as aspects of the all and basically I'm looking into a mirror of myself, I have to stop indulging, you know, in, in like violent as much as I can. You know, I'm human I and you can't repress it either because then you get stuff like World War One and World War Two. You can't repress the violence and all that. Where, yeah, where's the steam but, going? That's my question. Yeah, where are we venting all of this? But um, if if I'm gonna take those teachings seriously, I'm I have to unplug from the narrative, and I have to not take political news so seriously, and 
not let it affect, not let it get an emotional arousal out of me. The best news you can read is things that are occurring within a 20 square mile radius of you. Yeah. Truly. Yeah. Truly. Cause like the, at the end of the day, the truth is the majority of humans are still, you know, at least healthy enough to keep working and keep living. And, uh, the bad news that we see, even though we see it every day, statistically, we're in the, we're living in the safest time period in recorded history. So like when we just watch the news all day or doom scroll all day, it's a, it's a gross misrepresentation of reality. So yeah, (laughs) actually, I think that's really good. I, yeah, I don't know. Even I'm always the, even in the darkest, there's something in me that just always at least tries to maintain a, you know, a shred of optimism. And I think I would be dead if, if I didn't do that. It's a good attitude. Yeah. I think the awareness of that is like, I, I, I respectfully think that you are representing a large group of people who don't want to admit that. Yeah. Interesting. Well, (laughs) I think that was a great send off. Are we good? You think we're done? I loved that. Yeah. Yeah. I'll talk more about the hydrogen soon. I I just, I didn't want to talk. I I didn't want to hype it up until the the thing is I I want to see results before I hype it up. Hydrogen more like hydrogen. Yeah. Am I right? Yeah. I'm a shill for big hydrogen. That's (laughs) that's what Reddit tells me. (laughs) I posted a hydrogen study on Reddit and people were downvoting me. And I wasn't saying anything. I was just like, this is an interesting study for chronic fatigue. And I was downvoted, I was downvoted to oblivion and people were calling, like there was a legitimate comment and I can't tell if it was sarcasm. Uh, they were calling me a shill of big hydrogen. And I'm like, what is big hydrogen? Are, are you, is there like a fleet of like Tesla cars that are hydrogen or like, do we have, I don't know, some Goldman Sachs backed hydrogen funding. Cause if so, I, <laughs> I've never, I've heard of big oil. I've heard of big pharma, never heard of big hydrogen. Anyone can make hydrogen with simple electrical parts. Anybody. If you look up a, an electrolyzer process with, I'm serious. You could probably build an apparatus for less than at most a couple hundred dollars if you wanted to. So big, big hydrogen doesn't, doesn't exist. That's part of like the cynicism and all that that I was That's talking what about. Big hydrogen wants you to think. <laughs> I you big know, hydrogen. Whatever. Honestly, <laughs> next thing you're gonna tell me the Earth is round. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this big hydrogen shill, which hydrogen's basically free anyway. Um, yeah. Hopefully, I'll have some more news on it. I'll, I'll talk about it in a couple of weeks when the results of the hydrogen treatment are really supposed to come to fruition. Hopefully it'll be good. And if so, I'll recommend it to people. Um, until next time, until next time, uh, if you enjoyed us, um, it would be much appreciated and obviously like never required. (laughs) We don't want to guilt anyone. Um, unless you feel guilty, then pay us. But, uh, just kidding. Uh, we have a Patreon. Uh, that's just uh, patreon.com forward slash fake magic, one word, K at the end. Um, even a one-time donation, we have a donation link. It's at our link tree. Um, 
So that's uh, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E forward slash fake magic, all one word with the, the C-K at the end. We're on Instagram, mostly if we're even on social media, it's typically Instagram. Uh, fake magic pod, all one word. Uh, the magic spelled with the C-K at the end. Uh, so, yeah. Until next time, don't get too cynical or sarcastic. Hell yeah, brother. For your, for your own health. For your health.